and we are live hello i'm looking directly at the camera i believe i'm straight on that one pricey okay yeah pretty good actually thanks pretty good yeah good so hello welcome to irc book club i believe unbelievably episode 16 uh four months in still going strong still got the stamina well, well if time flies when you're having fun time must go even more quickly when you're reading garbage books <laughs> i'm joking actually i quite like this one yeah so this is the show where every week we talk about a business or sales book we reconstruct it deconstruct it and just generally banter about it hopefully so that you guys don't have to read the book or are inspired to do so in the case of this one probably better that you don't bother no let's just calm down jonathan yeah you're, you're still feeling the love should we roll the titles first okay lauren is this me jumping over the bonnet of a car? We're back. So we are determined to roll the titles live and have audio and video next week, we promise. It will be that slick. So we are in the final furlong of the Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, Pricey. We are. How was it for you? So we're starting with the end in mind, I guess. So, well, should we discuss these chapters? Yeah, we've got we've got a chapter and a, and a conclusion, haven't we? This week. Yeah, exactly. And then I think what. What we could do is we could skip through this at a sensible pace and then spend a bit of time just talking about maybe some books that we can move on to next week. Okay. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I mean, you know what book I'm going to recommend. I can't remember, but we'll, we'll come to it at the end. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So, so, so I'll tell you what, this guy Drucker, you know, um, I mean, I mean this, 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 this chapter is about effective decisions, right? And the opening statement is, a decision is a judgment. Fair enough. It is a choice between alternatives. This is rarely a choice between right and wrong. I did like what he said here. It is a choice. It is at best a choice between almost right and probably wrong, but much more often a choice between two courses of action, neither of which is probably, mine says, which is a probably more nearly right than the other. And actually, I liked that as well. As yeah, the yeah. I mean, I think that's right. You know, we make these decisions and it doesn't matter what you're doing whether you're making a decision to change your business model, whether you're making a decision to move house, whether you're making a decision to have an affair or whatever it might be. <laughs> How did that come into your mind? Well, life is full of decisions. And I get Drucker's point. He said, you can never actually be 100% certain that the decision that you're going to make is definitely right. Yeah. Even if you were in the court of law and you found somebody guilty of a murder and you're going to put them on death row in the US, there's got to be a point in that judge's mind where they're saying, is this definitely the right thing to do? And well, that's actually, his point about this. Actually, that's a, we're getting ahead because the chapter comes to the concept about computers and decisions. Oh, I know, I know it does, And yes. he actually, it's quite an interesting... Whilst he does it in a bit of a cack-handed way in terms of his understanding of technology... Well, bear in mind, it's th this book's 30 years old. Yeah, he does it in a bit of a cack-handed way. Actually we're about to reach a period in history where the computers will make decisions for us. Yes, but because we're more availed of the facts. And what Drucker's point yes, is... Yes, we have so much data now, the computers are availed of sufficient amounts of data with which to make actually quite powerfully 
calculated decisions. I, d- I didn't like. I didn't like the, the bit on the following page though, um, which the piece on the following pages. But the effective executive also knows that people do not start out with a search for facts; they start out with an opinion. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I know. Let's make the assumption that this man is guilty before we go through the trial. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of bits here I really liked in that opening paragraph. I was always taught when I first got into my first management job, make a decision, any decision, so long as it's a decision. I, I mean, I agree with you. I've got to say, and I know I keep referring to your wife, I do know other salespeople other than her, but I'll tell you what she's brilliant at. Very doing decide, stuff. Very decisive. She's just a doer. A doer. Yeah, does stuff. And there's a lot to be said for that. My daughter, my eldest daughter, Honey, um, she, she doesn't make any decisions at all about anything. And if you said the one thing that's going to inhibit her as she grows up a little bit, is she's just not decisive at all. Now, Drucker would say that the effectiveness from a decision-making perspective is learned, but I do believe that an element of that is, that's inna- my point. It's innate. is part of an innate personality. Because, because actually, honey is just like my wife. It's an innate element. It's just a genetic per- thing yeah. there. Whereas my youngest daughter, Lissy... Is all you. She, she just decides she's going to do something. She's mini you. nothing is going to stop her. Yeah, yeah, she's mini you. But which is the right? Drucker's saying the latter is right. Yes. Very decisive, very certain. Well, I've made a decision. Yeah, and I know it's the wrong decision, but that was my decision, so I'm going to just keep so going. So I'm going to stick to it. But then what he does say is he says, what we do have to... What we... What... what let me start again. What do we have to know to test the, vid, the validity of this hypothesis? So what he's saying is, let's make a decision, change our business model, let's decide that, then let's test how valid the information that we have is right. Here's some interesting bits, isn't there? So firstly, there was a couple of bits I highlighted here. Finally, the effective decision does not, as so many texts on decision-making proclaim, flow from a consensus of fact. The the understanding that underlies the right decision grows out of the clash and conflict of divergent opinions and out of the serious consideration of competing alternatives. And he comes, there's a lot of talk in this chapter about actually good decision-making is the product of divergent opinions you know you and i have a meeting you're, before you're right we... you're right well that's what i underlined the first rule of decision making is that one does not make a decision unless there is a disagreement yeah well it's funny because you and i before we do this show mike and i have a management meeting um and actually in that management meeting there's been some quite divergent Completely. opinions <laughs> as it happens we haven't made that many decisions out of the meeting we've just had but we made some no i think stop. we have made some pretty solid ones but actually you and i are often quite divergent on the on the thought process yes you know one in particular about a system that we use that that's a tough one that and that we've both got mm, mm. divergent opinions but and, what it does mean is a decision will and, come. and he's what drucker's saying is he's saying to test the validity of your hypothesis you need disagreement yes and he's, i agree with that he's well, right i, I think it Often, I, I think you can look at some teams and you think there's just not enough conflict in this team. Yes, I do agree. There, there's not enough conflict. Uh, uh, somebody I know who, who, who's been a very successful guy in his career often deliberately created an element of friction and tension in his teams. Who is that? Some, some, uh, somebody I know, very, very wealthy, successful I know guy. you mean now, yeah. I know you mean has often told me that he deliberately designed teams to to contain friction and conflict sometimes at an even sexual level because he wanted competition and conflict around decision making and thinking you're absolutely uh, sorry to interrupt you so when you think about that we think about what drucker's saying is 
let's have conflicting teams. Yeah. What do you think Drucker would make of the varying degrees of psychometric tests that a lot of companies out there have now, and they have a test which is built on what their, their model of success internally, and then they measure people against that success? Because aren't we just creating dollar cookie, the clone? Cookie cutter sales, cookie cutter business people. And all meet the cookie cutter profile. Yeah, and actually, don't you think that the way in which the, the uh, puppy dog sale of SaaS technology, which is what it is and now. And actually, who's the right and the wrong? The guy I know who's cute enough to go, they'll all dislike this guy and he'll come in and throw the cat amongst the pigeons and he's going to cause friction, tension and debate in, in a meeting. Yep. Or this guy who's just like all the others, who's going to come in and be a jolly good yes man. Because I tell you where you agree with everything everybody else says. Because I tell you where you get a lot of friction. Actually, one of my clients is version one, a big Oracle house. Yeah. And actually, now I've got into that company and I get how it works. Some at some point, and you'll laugh if you know who I'm talking about. If you're watching this, he's quite a disagreeable man. Actually, who's your client? Yeah. They're all disagreeable, but they don't half hire top guys. And it's an incredibly successful business. Phenomenally successful phenomenally and every point of contact you deal with is disagreeable apart from one person actually who's uh, quite an affable oh she's lovely but you know a lot of this is a right pain in the bum but actually when you're talking to about a candidate they go yeah he's not right for that reason yeah she's not right for that reason yeah he's not right for that reason yeah he's not right for that reason but actually they're not disagreeing with that they're so not are being you positing based on having read this first couple of pages of the book are you positing that overly agreeable people aren't good decision makers no, because I've just placed the candidate who is very agreeable, but what he does with you is he agrees all the time and he just he just gathers information. If you disagree with somebody, you're then putting them into a combative conversational perspective and you can't then gather information from them. Because let's get it right, Jonathan. So what D you're saying is he's incredibly agreeable as a human being, but if he disagrees with you, he'll gather information that he can use to convince you otherwise. He's a smart guy. But... Which of, the, which of the selling books is one of the most popular methodologies at the minute? Challenger sale. Yeah. And let's get it right. That is about challenging the Conventional opinion. ways of thinking. Correct. About, about disagreement. To an extent, yeah. It's about being sli a slight... They could, have they could have called it the slightly disagreeable salesman. Yeah, correct. Correct. Or, or the ruffle, ruff, ruffle the client's feathers and get him thinking about his business salesman. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. because actually you get me into conversation. So, that, and that's my problem with this book all the way through. As I've said, is God, it's like treading. I mean, I mean, I've gone three pages here without writing anything. I think I might have fallen asleep for a bit. But then, when you wake up again, you think, yeah, he's got a very fair point. You know, we have a bit more history in it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's interesting. He writes this bit. No one can fail to see that we start out with untested hypotheses. In decision making, as in science, is the only starting point. We know what to do with hypotheses. One does not argue with them, one tests them. You know, even w w Laura and I were talking about YouTube thumbnails the other day. And I said, I don't like that thumbnail. And we got debating it. And I said, look, the only way we'll know what one is better than the other is to test and measure it. So we'll have thumbnail A and thumbnail B. So if you think about it, what he's saying is stuff that's now become a conventional part of business culture. Yes. Testing and measuring, A-B testing is an archetypal example of what he's saying here. An A-B testing now I is just I thought you a, didn't like this book, Jonathan. Uh, I, 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 I'll come to that. A-B testing is a very common part of everybody's business vernacular. 
to A-B test a thumbnail, to A-B test, I don't know, the, the fact what we're doing now. You know, theoretically, is book club working for us, is it? I don't know. You could have two formats of book club, run one one week, run one the other, and see what the research is like. Then you can make your decision. And that's what he's saying is well, test your hypothesis. Well, let's get it right. My picture of our office with the Ryder Cup up, get more like than book club. Yeah. To an extent, yeah. Mad. Okay, and then he talks about criteria of relevance, doesn't he? And then to what be page fair, are you on here? I'm on now page 136, and then to oh, I'm be a lot fair, than that, actually. I actually wrote next to, on the page 137, OMG, and I, and I think what I meant by that was... I didn't write anything on those pages. I must oh, that was them. right. The, the, he makes the world's most sexist Sorry, I didn't comment. switch my phone on silent. Schoolboy error. Lauren, would you mind switching my phone on silent? It's got a switch on the side of it. Thanks. Um, it, the, I actually wrote that he's made the world's most sexist comment here. What's that? He's quite sexist. He's the late Peter Drucker, so I don't want to get too harsh about him in case the Drucker family. Uh, I'm going to read the chat paragraph because it is epically sexist. The great majority. Oh no, he's got a good age bit in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The great majority of all accidents occur in one or two places in the plant. The great bulk of absenteeism is in one department. Even illness resulting in absence from work, we now know, is not distributed <laughs> as an average, but is concentrated in a very small part of the workforce young unmarried women <laughs> <laughs> the personnel actions to which dependence on the averages will lead for instance the typical plant-wide safety campaign will not produce the desired results may indeed think i swear omg next to that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny isn't it <laughs> yeah terrible finding the appropriate measurement is thus not a mathematical exercise it's a risk-taking judgment um i found this hard chapter really hard yeah i mean i'm on page 143 i mean i've skipped through a lot of it yeah but a lot of it's good though yeah um uh, I, I, one, four, he, he, he sort of he keeps going back onto the dissension and disagreement thing which we've we've talked about haven't we decisions are the effect of the, the kind the effect that the executive has to make are not well made by acclamation they're made well only if based on the clash of conflicting views the dialogue between different points of view it's the same old bit and then he goes to the three main reasons for the importance of disagreement, doesn't he? What page are you on? 140. One, it's a safeguard against the decision maker becoming the prisoner of the organisation. I thought that was a very useful point. Yes, I mean, I underlined it. And we've talked about that, the cookie cutter clone. He calls it the prisoner of the organisation. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and I think he's bang right. You know, everybody's a special pleader trying often in good faith to obtain the decision he favours. Um, almost becoming part of the... I don't know if you ever read a book called The Filter Bubble, which was a... No. Well, we're all part of The Filter Bubble, aren't we? So you're a... I quite like The Filter Bubble. The Filter Bubble's great until you come out of The Filter Bubble and realise that there's stuff outside The Filter Bubble that was actually really good and that you've been stuck in The Filter Bubble. So... Mm, I quite like being in it. Yeah, so you're in your Spotify Filter Bubble, aren't you? Yes. And you're in your Amazon Instant Video Filter Bubble, and we're all in our Netflix Filter Bubble. So if you liked... Um, shows like stranger things you get more shows like stranger things if you like listening to otis redding you get more otis redding etc 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 what he's saying is organizationally organizations have a filter bubble yes from yes. a decision making perspective and that without disagreement the organization ends up in its own filter bubble well, what he calls the prisoner of the organization i get it uh, the next point he makes is right secondly disagreement alone can provide alternatives to a decision and a decision without an alternative is a desperate gambler's throw, no matter how carefully thought through it might be. He's really right. He's yeah, 100% right. right. 100% right, I and think. Then, and then he says, there is always a high possibility that the decision will be wrong, either because it was wrong to begin with or because a change in circumstances makes it wrong. Then, unfortunately, we have a history lesson. 
then we have a ridiculous history lesson. Um, and then he goes back to something useful about how disagreement is useful to stimulate the imagination. One does not... It's interesting that, because I disagree with my kids. What about? Just anything, really. What, on purpose? Yeah. Just, just to see just, if they can debate. Just to get them thinking about it. To expand so, their So Honey's thinking. been doing this thing at, at school about uh, fair trade. And yep. she said, it's not fair, this daddy, that, that these people in other countries don't get paid enough. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Honey, here's what we're going to do. We're only going to buy fair trade food. Yeah. And I'm going to stop buying you Lego. Because we can't afford both. I mean, properly, that messed with her head. And I said, to, and she said, well, that's, that's not fair. I said, yeah, but think about the poor person that's creating the cocoa. Their kids can't afford Lego because you can. Yeah. So what are you going to do about And what about, about it, the honey? guys in the Lego factory who aren't going to get any money because daddy and, 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 and... Yeah. <laughs> but that's about creating the alternative thing. And that's sort of what he's talking about, yeah. albeit on a much more intellectual level than a conversation point. with a nine-year-old. I absolutely get your point. Um, and then he, he, he actually says, the effective decision-maker therefore organises disagreement. I underline the same bit, yeah. Yeah. This protects him against being taken in by the plausible but false or incomplete. It gives him the alternative so that he can choose and make a decision but also so that he is not lost in the fog when his decision proves deficient or wrong in execution. And it forces the imagination, his own and that of his associates. Disagreement converts the plausible into the right and the right into the good decision. And, and, and again, you know, the thing that I'm going to say when we, in a minute or two when we get to the end of this book is, I've just hated reading it. I proper hated it. <laughs> hated it. And I don't, it's rare, you know, you know I am a prodigious reader. You do like reading I, books. I read a lot of books. Um, if you didn't have to read this for the show, would you have stopped oh reading it? Oh my God, I would have thrown it in the bin. <laughs> but I've learned, uh, it's got me thinking about a couple of bits, but whew, it needs a, I don't know, somebody rewrite it. Um, uh, executive wants to force himself to see opposition as his means to think through. One final question the effective decision maker asks, is a decision really necessary? Like that, do I have to make a decision? Simple. What I've not enjoyed is he could have been more prescriptive and more advisory. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the modern books give you a plan. Yeah. He doesn't give you a plan. He's just giving you theory at the nth theory degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this book is like listening to a jazz album. No, that's unfair on jazz. <laughs> and I'm, well, but as you know, I'm a big jazz fan, so... And then, you know, every decision is like surgery. It's an intervention onto a system and therefore carries the risk of shock. Yeah, absolutely Good point. Right. And, and, and that as a concept. Um, then he talks about decisions around costs and he gives this really good example about the financial controller who cuts and cuts and cuts. No, and no, cuts no, no. Cuts. What page are you on? 146. Right, I'd like to read out the bit that I underlined. Go ahead. But then he will discredit himself and the whole effort by making a big fuss about the unnecessary employment of two or three old employees yes. in an otherwise efficient and well-run plant. And he will dismiss as immoral the argument that of eliminating the, these few semi-pensioners. <laughs> he's harsh, this guy, isn't he? He's harsh and he's a bit wrong. He, uh, <laughs> so basically, to put that into context, he's saying, I think this is a he's man saying a good executive will look at the really old people and think, well, they're rubbish, let's get rid of them. I think this is a man who would have found it acceptable to pat a female colleague's backside. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I think in those days that was how it went. Do you reckon? He's not far off op Operation U-Tree, is he, the lad? <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But, you know, uh, uh, I can't think what I was going to say about that. I just underlined it because it was Yeah, funny. there's a couple of real wrongisms throughout the book, isn't and, there? And then he goes, similarly, the effective decision-maker either acts or he doesn't act. He does not take half action. Yeah. And I'll tell you where it does get useful, is he talks about how actually a lot of decisions aren't easy decisions and how, yeah, okay, you, you wanted to be an executive, did you? Well, bad luck. Sometimes decision-making is shit and some of it has an impact and hurts and it hurts people and it hurts the business Absolutely. and or others. Um, and he says here, it suddenly sometimes becomes quite obvious the decision is not going to be pleasant. It is not going to be popular. It is not going to be easy. It becomes clear that a decision requires courage as much as it requires judgment. There is no inherent reason why medicines should taste so horribly, but effective ones usually do. Similarly, there is no inherent reason why decisions should be distasteful, but most effective ones are. And he, he talks about uh, how one thing an effective executive does not do at that point. He doesn't give in to the cry of, maybe let's make another study and think about it again. And he's, he's making a point, which is, if you're going to make some decisions, or you want to be in a decision-making place, then some of it is going to be tough, and you have to make tough decisions. And we all know, and we've both seen situations in which people haven't made tough decisions, or are frightened to make tough decisions. Yes, 100%. And tough calls. But the, the, extending the medicine analogy, the people end up dying anyway, so they should have made the um, decision. Uh, well, we've done it ourselves, haven't we? Nobody where, does it. Where, where actually, oh, well, maybe, maybe this month, maybe, maybe this month he'll turn it round. And they've stayed there thinking, oh, maybe this month I'll turn it round. But actually, the best thing to have done would have been to go out and shoot the horse. Yes. In, in many decisions. And then he gets on to decision-making on the computer. Oh. I mean, I and do I mean, feel for him it was, yeah, because he wrote this in a completely yeah. different time It's laughable, frame. but there is a really interesting comment here, which I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jeremy, who is a, actually a world authority on blockchain and AI and smart contracts. He's incredibly knowledgeable. He spoke to the House of Lords on the subject. He was interviewed on Radio 4. We could maybe get him on the show, maybe at some point. And he was talking to me the other day over dinner about how the law will progress and how court cases will get decided via smart contract and lots of stuff that goes to court now will cease to go to court because actually the AIs will make the decisions. So what they will do is, because we've now got so much data, for example, I shunt into you, you get whiplash, you come after me on the claim mm. um, and it goes to caught in inverted commas what will happen is there'll be a smart contract written up the system will go so judge lauren has uh normally awards an average payout of five grand on a whiplash claim and normally awards at 65 percent and the computer will go the weather and all the rest it'll just take into the whole thing into account algorithmically and go bang the computer will find for pricey and pay out at £3,800 based on the average weighting. How long the doctor said you're going to be poorly. Bang, 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 Which bang, Peter Drucker, when he wrote this book, there was no way he could have seen that. But he was basically saying that the, the computers are going to start making more and more decisions. But we're man madly now, we're at a point where the... Well, let's get it right, Mike. We're at a point now where computers buy and sell shares. Yes, it's incredible. My mate sets odds for um, William Hill. Is an odd setter and he said if you get your odds just marginally off and the computers can bet one way with ladbrooks and one way with william hill and still make money he said you'll just take a million pound bang like that without you realizing it what as a hit he said you literally the computers lump on you 
What if you've got the prices wrong? You've got the prices slightly wrong. Wow. Because you think if you can bet two ways. Yeah. So one way to lose. Yeah, because there'll be somebody running an AI on, on betting, won't there? I think there are loads of people doing that. Auto betting. So it's just absolutely madness. He said, that's why so many of the odds are all so similar, so you can't bet both ways. He said, you just what, get across nailed. the different bookies. Yeah. 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 Whereas in the old days, you could ring, you could look in, you could go online or you could ring up the different bookies and you could get incredible variations in prices. Exactly, exactly. But I've got to say, I got very bored of that bit and skipped straight to Oh, uh, I just found the whole thing horrendous. I, I know, I went to the conclusion. I was Which, very glad there was a conclusion. A good wrap-up. I was very glad of the wrap-up, And wrap I highlighted actually. a couple of bits. I think the, the, the bits that I highlighted were, the book rests on two premises. The, the executive's job is to be effective. Great point. How, how many people actually, I wonder what would happen if in every induction, and on, uh, sorry, they're not called inductions, they're called onboardings. Okay. In every onboarding that took place next week across the United Kingdom of every senior level or even low, lower level knowledge working role, yeah. the opening line of every onboarding was, I just wanted to let you know, your job is to be effective. That's your job. Yes, and if they were then to say, we're going to measure your time and see whether you're Your effective. job is to be effective. And then he next says, the next premise is, effectiveness can be learned. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can get better at being effective. You can be get better at managing your time. You can get better at making decisions. But I, I debate this. And I think your point is really, really valid, Pricey, about your kids. You've got two kids with incredibly divergent personalities. Completely different. They're same house. Different, same house, same parents, but two very different personalities. And I can't see my eldest, honey, becoming as as quick to make and stick by decisions as my youngest, irrespective yeah. of whether you trained each in the opposite forwarded, direction. Fast forwarded 20 years you could, and put them both you in, each in, in their careers. You could train each of them in the opposite direction, they still won't meet in the middle. Yes, how effective a decision maker would they be? Well, well not effective, but how, but how happy they are to make a decision. And I still maintain, as I do with a lot of the books we read, that I think a lot of people's die is cast. Particularly, I think, once you get past about 30 developmentally, that you can only create an X percent in any given direction behavioural shift with learning and development. You can learn stuff. You can always learn new stuff. Can and you, learn, you can learn new information. You can learn new stuff and new skills, but I think the effectiveness is a behavioural trait. Yeah, it's the fabric of the person, yeah. But to be to be decisive, to make good decisions. That's a, I don't think that's a, well, I'm good at planning my week. Making good decisions and being effective as a decision maker and firm, solid, being comfortable with creating conflict, for example. Mm. Some people will never create conflict. I do agree with that, yeah. Completely agree with that. There are some people but whose personalities will just never lend itself to that. I see what I thought about this book. Are we finishing? Yeah, I reckon. Okay. I thought to myself, at the end of it, am I glad I read it? Minus five being no. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish I'd just gone to the pub. Plus five being, yes, I'm going to read it again. I was about a plus one. I think if it hadn't been for the way in which it was written, I'd be about a plus three. But Okay. Go on then. I will never read this book again. Well, I'm not going to read it again. But there's lots of books I return to over and over. Would you return to this? Never. Never, ever. 
I will never re return to this See, book. I think that's a foolish thing to say, because all um, the, cause a lot the of only, people that read this book are very, I'm, very successful. Correct. And if I ever get invited on the Tim Ferriss show, I, along with all the other big-hitting Silicon Valley types, will be able to say, yeah, effective executive. It was a real game-changer for me. Um, but it, it hasn't been a game-changer for me. I am no more effective at the end of this book than I was at the start. There's some interesting stuff in it. And what I did get out of it was in the early chapters, I have been recording my time for the last few weeks. And actually this week I let that discipline slip and I've had a shit week. That's bang right. I did get that out of it. And I'll come and I'll be back on recording my time next week because the, the sheer act of recording your time is a consistent reminder to be effective. Brilliant. Fair and, comment. And, and, and so that's what I got out of it. So thank you, Peter. I did get something out of it, but I don't think I'll ever return to the book. Okay, so in terms of next books then. All right. Um, what do you reckon? So I'll tell you what's going through my mind is I, I, I like the concept of understanding how technology is changing our world. So you want to do one on... Uh, Rise of the Robots. Rise of the Robots. It's on my bookshelf. Fourth Industrial Revolution. I've read Fourth Industrial Revolution. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. I read one, but I wrote one, read one by Kevin Kelly, that was amazing about the future. I don't know if you know Kevin Kelly was the chief. He, well, two, two things that Kevin Kelly is incredibly famous for. Kevin Kelly wrote the original article called "One Thousand True Fans," which is one of the most influential pieces of content ever written on the internet, ever. Which basically talked about concepts like the long tail, thousand true fans. Uh, he, he changed the world, Kevin Kelly, with that article. It was earth-shatteringly powerful. Never heard of and it. And a lot of people's careers came out of the concept of a thousand true fans. What we're doing right now is one thousand true fans stuff. He invented this. Um, but he also wrote a book called The Inevitable, I think it was called, which is a bit like all those others, but it, it, he wrote, he was the editor-in-chief of Wired magazine. And he came at it from a, this is where the, the world will be. Okay. And he's a very good futurologist. So maybe it could be that one. There's my, my two penneth on a scientific technological future. Because I think, we're, uh, and I like your context here. I think the context is the people we deal with, everybody wants to go and sell the latest shit hot thing, don't they? They do. But also I think we need to think about, you know, I think people talk about stuff very often about Internet of Things and all the rest of it. They don't really know what it is. No idea. Yeah, I want to go and sell artificial intelligence. I know if we did a poll of 100 salespeople and, and said did to them... an artificial intelligence oh, quiz. And said to them, tell me what machine learning is. They go, yeah, machine learning. But I would say, I reckon if we took 100 salesmen out of our database, I reckon 10 of them could effectively explain to you what machine learning really is. Well, how or about AI this? or blockchain. Well, how about this, Jonathan? Once we are offline, the next thing we will do is pick it and we will announce it on Monday. And we'll, um, we will post it out on LinkedIn, Hootsuite, Twitter, all the other social media, Snapstagram, Hipster Chat, all that shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, what's your plan for the weekend? Love the weekend is to catch up with the Ryder Cup, actually. So we've missed a bit of it this afternoon because we've had to do some work. Well, we've had to use the computer that we were streaming the Ryder Cup on. To... So I've not seen much of it this afternoon. So a bit of Ryder Cup stuff, uh, I would think, is about me. But then I've got a lot of busy weekends, so I'm going to take it quite easily. I'm not interested in yours. Okay. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.